Our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians this evening. Again, thank you all so much for having us. We've thoroughly enjoyed our time with you all here today. And uh, it's just been good. It's been good being with you all. Praise the Lord. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. Tonight we're going to talk about faithfulness a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse number one, we're going to look at both verses one and two. These are very familiar verses, but we're going to look at them anyway. The Bible says, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you again for this day, Father. Thank you again so much for the services we've had today. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to be able to receive your word. Uh, Father, I pray that you continue to send forth laborers into your harvest. Help us, Lord, as we try to learn to be more faithful to you as we should be. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. These verses are very good for us Christians. It's good for us to remember uh, our place in the kingdom of God and our place in his plan. The Bible says, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ. Uh, That's a tough one right there. I think that when people see us, people that know us or are around us, they should be able to make an account to be able to say that that's a minister of Christ. The Bible also says they should also account us as stewards of the mysteries of of God. I think it's an amazing thing if we really just think about it just for a moment. The honor and the privilege that we have to be stewards of this book right here. To have the honor and the privilege of not only bearing it around the world, but protecting it and standing on it and standing for it. That's what we've been given to do. If you don't know what a steward is, a steward is simply somebody who is in charge of something that doesn't belong to us. It belongs to somebody else, but, but that steward is, is responsible for it. Kind of like they're borrowing it and keeping track of it, making sure that everything's good and everything's fine. That's our job. God is, this is not my word, this is God's word. And, and, and this is not your word, this is God's word. And God has given us the privilege and the honor to bear this book and to be pr- protectors and keepers of it and to bring it all around the world. You know, I think that that's a blessing. And here's why I think that. Because I think God could do it a lot better than we could. I mean, think about that for a minute. Surely God can get the word to the world and get the gospel to the world far better than sinful, fleshly people like us. I mean, uh, we understand what the Bible says. The Bible, the Bible says that we're supposed to, to, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I just, when I think about the, the scope and the, and, the, and the size of such a commission, it really makes me feel so inadequate, realizing that I'm but flesh and I can mess this thing up. Surely God could do it better than us. And by the way, he could. But it's amazing to me that he's chosen to allow you and I to have a part in this commission and in this work. That's why the Bible says that they will not hear without a preacher. Why? Is it because he needs preachers? No. It's just because that's God's way. That's his grace. That is him showing us and revealing to us his heart that his people get to be a a part, a huge part of getting this book around the world. And he will not allow one person to hear it unless we get involved. That's, and that's not a reflection on us because 
We're sinful. We're fleshly. Yet God allows us to have a part in this thing. And I don't get that. I mean, I I think about, uh, you know, as a dad, I know that I can do things a whole lot better than my kids can. I can fix my car or I can can, uh, uh, cook better than they can. In fact, I would say in in many cases, uh, the younger they are, uh, the the less they know. But when we get to kind of let them be involved in the process, sure, we can do it better. And they might even get in the way at best. But they get to spend time with dad. And it's a blessing. I can do it better, but I sure would love to do it with my kids. And it's a blessing to me. And for some reason, God has chosen us, sinful, fleshly people, to have this huge responsibility to be the stewards of his word. Isn't that something? He could do it better. But his way is to have us involved. So it kind of begs the question, what kind of steward is he looking for? That's where verse 2 comes in. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I'm going to tell you this right now. It's hard to find faithful people these days. It's hard. Look, if you are a, a supervisor or a manager or a boss or a pastor or a preacher or a former boss, whatever it may be, if you've been in the military and had people under you, you know what I'm talking about. It's hard to find faithful people, people that you can depend on, people that you know will do what they're supposed to do, will do the things that they said they would do, that would just show up on time and and just be faithful to the little things that they've been given to do. But it just seems like there's a famine of faithful people that you can trust, that you know will get the job done in these days that we live in. It's that way with parenting too, isn't it? You know, we teach our children how to be faithful, and you ask your, 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 your little one to go and grab something, and, and they're gone for 10 or 15 minutes, and they bring back something totally opposite of what you asked for. Because they're learning how to be faithful, and, and it, it, it's kind of painful, though, when you need that thing, and no one can find it, and it's just like, man, if I could just do it myself. I wonder if that's how the Lord feels. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 29 and verse 15, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. It doesn't matter how badly you want to eat that really good steak. If you've got a broken tooth, every single bite will be painful. It doesn't matter how badly you want to get from point A to point B. If you have a foot out of joint, every step will be faithful. That's what it's like to depend on an unfaithful person. It's just painful every step of the way. I wonder if that's how the Lord feels sometimes. Because we've been given these tasks to do and and we're not trustworthy enough to get it done. People who who will do what God told them to do and won't quit. It's just we don't see that anymore these days. The Bible says most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. That's our day, isn't it? But a faithful man who can find... It's hard to find faithful people. But if this gospel is going to get around the world, it's required. It's not, it's not suggested. It is required that a man be found faithful. I want to look at a man who is a big hero of mine in the Bible. We're just going to look at his example tonight of what I believe faithfulness looks like. And I think that biblically we see that in this man's life. But... Being a Christian is not always easy. It's not always hunky-dory. And sometimes there's problems. And we kind of talked a little bit about that this morning. But 
This is what is required in order to get the job done is faithful people, people that will do what they said they're going to do, that will obey the commands of God, and they won't quit. We are so used to seeing people quit. It's just a normal thing now. We're so accustomed to it. But let's see what a real servant of the Lord should look like. We're going to open our Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel now that we've kind of laid a foundation for what we're looking at. We're looking at people who won't quit, people that will do what they're supposed to do. 1 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to be there pretty much the rest of the evening. 1 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to be looking at a man in the Bible whose name was Uriah. 1 Samuel chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse 1. We're going to read through basically the entire chapter. Uh, sorry, 2 Samuel. I apologize. 2 Samuel chapter 11. I always get that wrong. 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to read through basically the entire chapter. We're going to skip through some things because I don't, I don't want to spend all night here. But I just want you to see some aspects of Uriah's character as we go through the scriptures here. So we're going to start in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we'll start in verse 1. Now we're about to read what an unfaithful man looks like. It's pretty clear, and we don't need very many verses to see it. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. So here's the situation. Uh, Joab is out fighting this battle. He pushed the enemy back into their city. And now he's going to do a siege. If you don't know what a siege is, it's essentially when an army surrounds a city and keeps them from escaping... And really the safest and easiest thing to do is just to sit there for a long time until people starve to death or surrender. That's the safest and easiest way to do things. You wouldn't necessarily always attack, but you could definitely starve them out. So here's that situation, and uh, David should be in the battle, but he's not. Now we're not going to read the next part of the story. I think everybody's pretty familiar with the sin that David uh, uh, committed with Bathsheba, but we're going to skip all that. I want to go down and start talking about Uriah pretty quickly. So we're going to go ahead and look at verse 6. And the Bible says, And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And And Joab sent Uriah to David. Now here's Joe. This is a man who uh, David had sinned against, and it's very clear in Scripture that he had done that. And uh, David is trying to, to hide his sin in this situation. Again, we're not going to get into the details. We have a mixed crowd here tonight, but you understand what's going on here. I believe you do. And so in an attempt to hide his sin, he calls for Uriah. Now, Uriah is coming from the front lines of a major battle in Israel's history. They're fighting the children of Ammon. They've been pushed back into this city called Rabbah. And everything seems to be going well. And just imagine as a soldier with your fellow soldiers around you, you're sitting there and (coughs) planning the next day's attack or trying to figure out if the perimeter is safe. Always keeping lookout because the enemy could be anywhere. And you get a message saying, the king wants to see you. Very strange. Now, I was not in the military, but I, I, I guess the closest I can say that I ever was, I was a firefighter. I was a firefighter for seven years. Um, and I loved it. I loved being a firefighter. I was there during Hurricane Katrina. We got to do, uh, to do a lot with the community. Um, did rescue efforts to try and help people the best we could during that time period. Uh, 
and I, so I, 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 I appreciate uh, the, the, what kind of comes with that. If, you're, if you've ever been in the military or in any kind of civil service situation where you're kind of, you got somebody watching your back or you're watching their back, you kind of know that there's a camaraderie that's really hard to explain to other people. You know, as a firefighter, you would go in with two people and you watched each other's back or it was, it could mean death. So I want you to kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Let's move on here. And David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was coming to him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. Could you imagine? I don't know about you, but I was... So when, in the fire service, we, we did all kinds of stuff, and putting out fires was a big part of it, but it wasn't the only thing we did. But I would think it would be very strange if I'm sitting there fighting this fire, and I'm trying to put this fire out, this person's building's burning before our eyes, and I get word that the chief wants to talk to me, and I go all the way away from my hose over to the chief, and his question to me is this, how's everything going? There's a house on fire. Can I get back to what I'm doing, please? I mean, come on. We don't have time for this. But I love the first thing we see here about Uriah. He just did what he was told. It wasn't a big deal. He didn't have to understand it. He didn't have to get it. He was a good soldier. Good soldiers obey. And they do what they're told. I love that about Uriah. And the reason I bring that up first is because, honestly, I think this is one of the areas we struggle with the most as God's people. It's just simply obeying. Just doing what we're told. Just saying, yes, sir, Lord, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. We have conditions. We have to ask questions. We have to figure it out in our own mind before we'll move forward. One inch. But a good soldier who is faithful will be obedient. So this is what David said to Uriah. And David said to Uriah, go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down into thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab, and the servants of my lord, those are his brothers, are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth. I will not do this thing. So we see here his heart about the matter. David has been summoned from the battlefield. He can't be with his brothers in arms. And all he can think about is that, obviously, because this is what he tells David when David says, well, how come he didn't go to your house? He's like, look, my brothers in arms and even Joab and the Ark of Israel are out in the open fields waiting to die. And here I am. I'm not, I'm not going to enjoy what they can't enjoy. I'm not going to do what they can't do. I'm not going to do this thing. You know, I've often wondered if that bugged David. Could you, I mean, could you imagine hearing that from some low peasant soldier? And you're supposed to be there, right, as the king. And he's enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. And here's this little soldier that's telling him, I'm not going to do that. Joab's out there. Why would I be here? I wonder if that bugged him. Made him feel a little icky. Well, you know, sometimes soldiers got to do what they got to do, right? But that wasn't his heart. He wasn't going to go and do what his fellow servants 
were not able to do. I love that about him. He had his eyes focused on the goal. He wasn't easily distracted. Christians these days are very easily distracted. It doesn't take much to get us off the goal and unfocused from where we should be. But that wasn't, that wasn't Uriah. It didn't matter what was in front of him. He just kept focused on what the goal was. The goal was to kill Ammonites. The goal was to win the battle. And he was there in the kingdom. And though he could not be there to protect his brothers in arms, though he could not be there to obey his lord Joab, he figured the best he could do is protect the king. So that's what he's going to do. It wasn't a big job. But it was what he was what he knew he had to do. He didn't get distracted easy. I think a faithful person doesn't get distracted very easy. It's just very simple. But we get distracted. People who are supposed to be servants of God or or uh, 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 employees or whatever it may be. If they get easily distracted, they're not very useful. Let's move on. So David keeps trying, and Uriah said unto David, I'm sorry, let's skip down. And David said to Uriah in verse 12, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. David said, well, here we'll try plan B. I'll get the guy drunk. What I find interesting is that even in an inebriated state, he still had his eyes focused on the goal. This guy, you couldn't change his mind. This is a man who you, it it didn't matter what argument you had, how logical your reasoning could be. He was not going to divert from the goal. He was going to stay focused on what he was supposed to do. So David knew that this plan was not working. So he moved on. So verse 14 was the next idea. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him. Remember that, that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. So before we go any further, let's look at what happened next. So David, uh, sorry, so, so, yeah, so David sent Uriah back to the battle since he knew that he could not get him to be unfaithful to his, his, uh, his duty. I think David was literally trying to use Uriah's faithfulness against him. That's how faithful this man was. The only way that he could get this guy to do what he needed him to do was to essentially use his own faithfulness against him. Because this is what he did. He he wrote a letter telling Joab, I need you to put him in the hottest part of the battle, and then you're going to have your men retire, run away, and he's going to die. And then he took that letter, put it in an envelope, sealed it, and handed it directly to Uriah to deliver. He He delivered his own death warrant. Do you see that? He delivered his own death warrant to his own leader. Now, I don't know. I've heard lots of things about this, that servants were never allowed to look in a letter. And I don't know if he looked at it or not, honestly. I know this. The letter made it. 
Irrelevant whether or not he read it or not, it made it. Because he was faithful. David knew he was so faithful that he could hand him his own death warrant and it would arrive untouched and unscathed in perfect condition. That's how faithful Uriah was. You know, I think, I think a lot of times when uh, we have to do something or when, when it seems like we're, we're, we're required of the Lord to do something, we, we, we want to we try and figure out things or maybe force things to make things happen the way we want it to happen. Uriah didn't do that. He just delivered the letter. I love that about David. But we're not done yet. So when he received the letter, I, I'm sure that was a shock for Joab to see such a thing, but, you know, he's a good soldier too, so he's going to obey. And so he found a place where the valiant men were. In verse 17, and the men of the city went out and fought with Joab. And there fell some of the people of the servants of David. Now, how did that happen? I thought they were supposed to run away. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Now, We don't see a lot in this verse right here, but if we read the next few verses, we get kind of a picture of what actually happened before Uriah died. But we know this much so far. Not only did Uriah die, but many of his men died as well. This was apparently very bad and a slaughter. In fact, it was so bad that Joab had to send word to the king. In verse 18, then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger saying, when thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war to the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, wherefore approached ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight? Knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubbesheth? Did not a woman cast a piece of a millstone upon him from the wall that he died in Thebes? Why went ye nigh the wall? Then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So Joab, in an effort to kind of get ahead of whatever news was about to get to David about this horrible massacre, said, I'm going to send the servant... And he told the servant, he said, look, when you, re- when you bring this report to David, he's going to get mad. He's going to let you know right now. He's a man of war. He's been doing it just as long as I have. And he's going to get angry. And here's why he's going to get angry. I'm going to tell you exactly what he's going to say to you. Why did all these men have to die? Why did you have to get so close to the wall? Don't you know? And, and he said, look, he knows his Bible. He's going to quote to you back in the book of Judges. You remember when, uh, 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 who was it, Drubbable? I'm... I'm, 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 my mind's not, not, not moving right now very well. Drubbesheth, sorry. Uh, no, Abimelech, the son of Drubbesheth. Did you, know, you remember that time in the Bible when uh, uh, Abimelech came to the wall and a woman just dropped a piece of rock down on top of his head and killed him? Remember that? Don't you know any better, Joab? I mean, come on, you've been, you've been fighting wars for years. You know you're not supposed to get in close to the wall. There's archers and rocks. Why would you do that? And Joab said, all you got to do is say this, and he won't be mad anymore. Just taste it, say this. Uriah is dead. And then he'll understand. Well, what does that mean? Why would that be such a big deal? Why would that, why would this addendum and this, this, uh, this thing that Joab told the servant to say, why would this pacify the king? Why is it that that would be the thing to say? And I kind of think that this is the answer. 
I think that that's because that's how far he made it. See, the plan was for him to die in battle. The plan was for them to find a place where it would be the hottest part of the battle, that he might be smitten and die. And so when Joab looked at, off in the distance and said, that's a good spot, I'm going to send him with a bunch of men. The plan is they're going to retire from him and then he'll die. So he ordered them in the battle. But he didn't die. I guess that was something they didn't account for. So you know what Joab had to do? He had to send him further into the battle. Keep going. And he, I could just imagine him telling uh, uh, Uriah, don't stop until you get to where you need to go. Get to the goal, get to the, where the victory is. I could just imagine it. And though he moved up a little closer to the wall, he still didn't die. So he had to move up further. He still didn't die. And he moved up further, and he moved up further, and he moved up further. And though he was battle-scarred and worn and probably had arrows all in his body, you know what he was doing? Telling his men, ah, don't run away. That's victory that way. We're going to keep going to the wall because that's what our Lord Joab told us to do. And he got closer, and he got closer, and he got closer. And men were dying everywhere. It was a slaughter. And finally, when he was able to touch the wall, that's when he died. So Joab had to tell David, look, this guy wouldn't quit. The reason we lost so many men today was based on your order to kill Uriah, but he wouldn't die. I can just imagine Uriah crawling on all fours saying, man, we can do this. You know, it's amazing to me how little will keep a man from doing what God wants them to do. I think we've got to see that a little bit with our, our time period during COVID. It doesn't take much to get us distracted. It doesn't take much to make us quit. But I see a man here who is dragging his body across an open field of blood. Just simply because that's what he was ordered to do. And he didn't quit. I love that about Uriah. I think Uriah wasn't a quitter. I think that that's the reason... That, that Joab had to say what he said because that's how far he made it. It's really hard for God to find faithful people like that. If you're wondering what faithfulness looks like, that's it. I know that many of us may be battle-worn and scarred and have a lot of problems that we carry with us every day, but we still have to keep moving forward. You see people fall by the wayside. We see people leaving church, not being faithful to church. And then just slowly, they just become less and less faithful until you never see them anymore. It's amazing how one person might go through a trial and say, this isn't what I signed up for, and you never see them again. But what I appreciate are the Christians that though they're fighting battles on a daily basis, they still are serving God. And they haven't quit it seems like it was said once that some soldiers, men, men have gone into battle and one little scratch killed them. But people who have been shot in the chest somehow keep moving. I think what that has to do with our, is our mentality. God never promised that everything's going to be all wonderful and hunky-dory and rainbows and unicorns all the time. Sometimes things are going to get tough. But I'm going to tell you this right now. 
We're stewards of the mysteries of God. And the goal is towards him. And if you want to be a good steward of God's word, regardless of the fiery darts that are flying everywhere, regardless of how dangerous it may be, no matter how bad the noise might get, you must be found faithful. It's amazing to me. I love in Ephesians 6 when he's talking about the, uh, the armor of God. I think about Uriah running towards the wall and arrows are flying at him and all that kind of stuff. And he didn't have something that we have. You know what we've got? We've got the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. There's not one fiery dart that will touch you. While he was sitting there dying on a battlefield without that kind of capability, there is nothing that we that will that could stop us if we are girded and protected by the armor of God and everything that he's given to us. There's nothing that can stop us. But we're, we're very quick to, to quit. Don't quit, brothers and sisters. This is the message. It's really not a very, very profound or huge message, but it's an important one. I'm seeing it everywhere. We're missionaries. We travel from church to church. And we see a lot of people quitting right now. They're done with it. But even though we're losing people and it looks bad, we still have work to do. Don't quit. Move forward. You say, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm injured. Keep going. But it's so, it's so painful. Press on. Be faithful to the things you have learned from God and his word. I want to be like Uriah. And I don't want to quit. And I'm just as capable of quitting as anybody. But I don't want to quit. And I hope you don't either. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. I pray that you would help us, Father, to remember what we've learned. Thank you so much for what you've taught us in your word. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. Think of the verse that says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength...